Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon. What do you think of Jesus Christ? This is 4S. That's the most important answer you'll ever have to give. I'm David Johnson. If you only think that he's a man, simply a man, and that's all he is, then one day you will be greatly shocked. Let's get started. Who is this person called Jesus Christ? Indeed, that is the question. That is the question that we're dealing with uh, over on Red Letters. You know Red Letters. Patreon.com slash Red Letters. Patreon.com slash Red Letters. Pick up my book, Red Letters, A Closer Look at the Worst Practical and Moral Teachings in History. We're going through that book. We've got a lot more to say after we're done with the book. Uh, you can become a member for a dollar a, a week, essentially, and uh, you get more than what you pay for. You're going to love it. Uh, so, uh, over on Red Letters, I said that we were dealing with that question of who is Jesus. Well, that's just one of the things that we're dealing with. We're dealing with the teachings of Jesus to find out the substance of what he was really trying to say, but the conversations in the forum always come back to one central theme. In fact, it is the theme that I started with when I started this series, which is, is Jesus God? You see, in order for the red letters to make any sense at all, you kind of have to go in with the assumption that Jesus is God. Now, the preacher that we have today, is going to explain to us why he believes that Jesus is God and why you should believe that Jesus is God. But I warn you, this is old school. And by old, I mean a fossil. This is Dr. Charles Stanley. Some of you are probably too young to even know the name Dr. Charles Stanley. Uh, this is one of the old guard. He is uh, kind of a throwback like Billy Graham. You remember when we listened to Billy Graham? How excruciating his argumentation was. It, it doesn't hold up under even the weakest skeptic today. He, he would have simply crumbled under, uh, under skeptical criticism. But these guys didn't really have to deal with skeptical criticism in, the, in their day. They were always only ever talking to Christians. And even the pretend people that they made up as, as if they were, you know, answering questions from atheists, which I, I, I doubt they ever did. Their, the answers that they give really rely on the other person assuming certain things about Christianity to be true. You will look at the number of times that, um, especially toward the end of a sermon, that Dr. Stanley talks about the facts and proving that Jesus was God. I want you to listen to the sermon and see if you can find one fact. Because the thing they called facts are not what we call facts today. And this is just a generation ago, okay? This is one generation. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's really kind of shocking and sad. 
the other thing that you should listen for, and you'll you'll hear it throughout the sermon, is the reliance on the Bible as proof. Is Jesus God? Well, I can prove he's God. Look and see what this book says. <laughs> you see, it says he's God. <laughs> so I've proven it. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. I am not kidding. You've got 30 minutes of Dr. Stanley ahead of you. Now, folks who turn their nose up at my theology and the theology that is expressed by skeptics who are my age, I'm around, I'm in my early 50s. I am 52. 52. What happened to the time? Anyway, yeah, so anyone who's around my age and who's expressing the same type of theology uh, that I'm expressing, that I that I believe that Christians teach, you know, I say this is what Christians teach, this is what they say. Dr. Stanley was one of the teachers of my generation. So, um, right, Dr. Stanley, Billy Graham was a little bit before that, but the type of theology that they taught and believed in was the type of theology that ruled the day. And so we learned at the feet of people who learned at the feet of these fossils. We are not strawmanning Christianity. We are feeding back to you what they taught us to believe. Now, of course, we've done our own study and our research, but I would be crazy if I said that we were not affected in any way by the authoritative voices that were around us in our time. This is one of those voices, and this is really how they argued. Is Jesus God? Let's find out. Many people believe in God, and they'll tell you they do. But Jesus, that's a whole different story. He's just one of those other prophets or teachers who roamed the world of his day and talked about other things that people may be interested in and healed some people and so forth. But Jesus is not all that important. It's God who is important. That's the way the world thinks. And I want to ask you, how do you think? What do you think of Jesus Christ? The most important question you'll ever answer in your life. And in John's Gospel, he has given us a picture of Jesus unlike any other place in the Scripture. Okay, before we get to John's Gospel, I just want to address this trope for a moment, because it is a trope uh, even for modern evangelists and apologists. The question of Jesus Christ, what do you do with Jesus? It's the most important question you will answer today. No, it isn't. No, it is. There is nothing remotely important about that question. It, it is an assumption that that is an important question. What do you make of Jesus? I don't assume that that's an important question. I don't see anything inherent in the question that makes it important at all. There is no reason that I should think anything of Jesus Christ. You're going to have to make some more claims, and then you're going to have to back up those claims. But you can't just say, this is the most important question that you can answer in your life, and, and then that somehow actually become an important question that way. 
And so oftentimes people will read and they'll say, well, I, I believe this or I believe that. But the question is, what do you really and truly believe about Jesus? And I say again, many people have God. They believe God. And it's like little G-O-D. They believe that there is a God. But Jesus is a whole different story. And what I want to do is answer this question. What do we believe about him? Who is Jesus Christ? And the answer is that Jesus Christ is God. Now, you probably say, well, now, I, I don't believe he's God. I believe he's maybe a prophet. No, he's God, and I want to show you why he is. Because all the proof that we need is in the Word of God, and you could just remain in the Gospel of John if you wanted to. Okay. So, observe, all of the proof, the proof, all of the proof we need is in the Bible. I mean, Word of God is just a, a euphemism for the Bible. Okay? It's just another way of saying, it's all in the Bible. And furthermore, we don't even need most of the Bible. Everything you need is in the Gospel of John. The proof that Jesus is God is in one small part of an old book. He's everything he promises to be, and he is God. Turn, if you will, to John chapter 1. And we could read quite a number of verses, but I'll just limit this to these first five verses of the Gospel of John, because he answers this question throughout the Gospel. And we're answering the question, who is he? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that came into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the dark, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Who is Jesus? Well, I want us to think seriously about it because your whole eternity depends upon what you think about him. That's just a claim, right? That's, that's a claim. And most folks will say, well, as long as I believe in God and I try to live a pretty good life, that should be sufficient. That's what the Word of God teaches. So I want us to think about it in this light and answer the question, who is he? And so I'm going to ask four questions that are legitimate questions and ought to give us an answer. We're going to answer the question, who is Jesus Christ? The first question is, who did Jesus say he was? Who did he say he was? Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 4. Sorry, it doesn't matter who he says he was. I mean, look, there's great debate on who Jesus says he was, okay? Uh, even uh, within Christendom, some say Jesus never claimed to be God. Others say he wouldn't shut up about being God. Right? But it doesn't matter. And if you consider uh, how Christians view self-claims, you'll see how hollow this argument is. In uh, today's modern issue of transgender, you know, if someone who was born with a penis claims to be a woman, the Christian will say, it doesn't matter what he claims about himself. 
So he starts off proving that Jesus is God by talking about what Jesus claims about himself. Who cares? And I'm going to give you the scriptures for all of these so you'll remember them. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. So Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. Secondly, Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep, in John chapter 10, verse 7. What, what do either one of those things have to do with being God? If anyone enters the door, or enters through me, he will be saved, John chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Look at that. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. In John chapter 12, verse 45. And then in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then in the 14th chapter of John, in the 6th verse, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So this is what Jesus said about himself. All of those verses are quotes of Jesus. This is Right. So he claims to be the way to the Father. Dare I say, the way to God. None of those things are claims of being God. I don't even want to argue this point, but I mean, even for the point he's trying to make, this is not clear thinking argumentation. What he said about himself. And then we're asking questions. Who did Jesus say he was? The second question is, were his actions consistent with who God is? Because we're trying to define who is this Jesus? So, were his actions consistent with who God is? In John, the 8th chapter, the 29th verse, he said, I always do the things that are pleasing to him, to the Father. He does the things that are pleasing to God. Again, not, he's, that's not a statement that he's God. All right, there, there are good passages in the Bible, if you want to argue that Jesus claimed to be God, none of these are them, <laughs> okay? But once again, no one, no one in Charles Stanley's time would have ever challenged him on any of this. He, he would have never faced any kind of challenge like this. No one can say that but Jesus. Always do the things that please him. A second verse is John. Okay. It, uh, by the way, we're evaluating Jesus' actions. Well, Jesus says, I only do the things that please the Father. Is that proof of anything? All that is is proof of Jesus saying that he only does things that please the Father. Let me try it. I only do things that please the Father. Can you prove me wrong? Does, does that make the statement true? Because Jesus said that he only does things that please the Father. For Charles Stanley, that's evidence that he only does things that please the Father. In 10, 10, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Again, because Jesus said he came that they will have life and have it more abundantly, that must make it true, right? Because he said so in this book. That's certainly consistent with who 
God is. Well, if we want to talk about being consistent with who God is, what we really should ask Jesus is, how many people have you smited today? For example, look at the miracles he performed. He fed 5,000. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He walked on water. Think of all the miraculous things he did. So when we ask who... Do we know that he did any of those things? Well, it says in a book that he did it, a book that he did not write, by the way, um, because this book says he did these things, that is evidence that he did these things, right? This Jesus, he's certainly a miracle worker, but he's more than that. He's certainly a miracle worker. Do we have any lasting miracles of his? Did he clean any bodies of water in his day that are still clean? Uh, did he cure any diseases that we no longer have today? Uh, the dead people he raised, are they around for us to question? No, but it doesn't matter because it says he did it in the book. Because the one thing he did that stirred up the Pharisees and the Sadducees to absolute hatred and bitterness toward him when he said, speaking to them, that he forgave someone of their sin. Who can forgive sin? We're talking about who. Wow, what evidence. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus said he forgave sins. Let me try this. You listening out there, you who have sins, you know who you are. I forgive you of your sins. Oh, look, I'm God. Yes, what's consistent with who God says he is? Then... No one can take his life from him. Listen to John chapter 10, verse 18. No one can take his life from him. He has authority to lay down his life. And he says, I have authority to take it up again. Is that consistent with who God is? Yes, it is. In 6th chapter of John, the 38th verse, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So the question is, were these actions consistent with God? Every one of them was. So God sent God. God you know what? I got to stop. This is too easy. This is, um, but this really is the Christianity we were, sp- genera- generations of people were spoon-fed. This is, this is the real stuff right here, folks. We're answering the question, is Jesus God? So far, you have to admit, yes, he is. No one could follow all of this unless he is. The third thing I want us to notice is this. What was his relationship to God the Father? We're talking about Jesus being God. What was his relationship to God the Father? Now, remember, in Genesis chapter 1, the 26th verse, when he said, let us make Man in our own image. Who is us? It's certainly not angels. Angels aren't creators. Not the devil. Let us make man in our own image. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity that make up the Godhead. Right, and you got that from where exactly? By the way, how do you know so much about angels that they can't create things or that the devil can't create things. Do you have some other book that you're getting this information from? 
That's what the Scripture teaches. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He said, for example, the 8th chapter, If you knew me, you would know my Father also. And when I look at the uh, 14th chapter of John, there are a number of verses there that I want us to look at, but look at verse 16 of the 14th chapter for a moment. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Another, in the Greek, is alos. That means another just like, just like himself. I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. In that one verse, all three persons of the Trinity. No. No, not in that verse. There are no three persons of the Trinity in that verse. Are you kidding me? Are you talk about isogesis or uh, the act of reading into a text? Look at all of the baggage he has to bring to that text. If this were an airline, he'd be charged $1,000 for that extra baggage. So who is God? There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll tell you why this is so important in a moment. He says that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Then, for example, in John chapter 1, verse 1, the word Jesus was in the beginning. He was with God, and the Scripture says, and the word was God. The testimony of John is that Jesus was God in human flesh. Okay. That's the testimony of John. So, uh, testimony, just another word for claim. This other guy claimed something and wrote it down in a book. That's all the evidence I need. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's coming after the resurrection, but the three persons of the Trinity. Now, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to show you why this is so important. Then, for example, he says in John chapter 1, verse 3, He was the creator with the Father. All things that came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being. So Jesus says that he was the creator. Well, wait a minute. The Bible says that God created, yes, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And uh, we have the three persons of the Trinity. Let us make man in our own image. Then... I look, for example, in the Colossians chapter 1, because all the way over here in Colossians and Paul, all the things that he wrote, and in this first chapter of Colossians, uh, listen to what he says. He says, for example, in uh, the first chapter, in the 14th verse, in whom, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And then he says, he, Jesus, is the image of, of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him are all things created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So the testimony the Apostle Paul is the same as the testimony of John. Again, testimony equals claim. Paul claimed it. 
and John claimed it. How much more evidence do we need? It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, each one working in a different way. Then, all the way down to John chapter 6, verse 38. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And what is that? To die on the cross and to save us from our sin. And then the 14th chapter of John, the 11th verse, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And the 5th chapter, the 36th verse, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. And then in chapter 8, verse 29, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Would you not say that all that is consistent with being God? Wow. Wow. Once, once more, you see, these people made claims about a person, and that seems consistent with a God. Nailed it. All of it is. Now, let me show you why this is so important. In the mind of the world, there's God. In our mind, we know that it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when you talk to your friends about God, they say, I believe in God. And um, in their minds, there's God out there somewhere. But he's so distant and he's so foreign and so unimaginable and so indescribable that he's just this big blob of spirituality of some sort out there somewhere. And they pay him very little attention. But they can't say that they believe in God. So what's his name? Well, I don't know. Well, what kind of God is he? He's God. Now watch this. You see, if he is this invisible something out there somewhere they believe in, that they cannot describe, that he is impersonal, that they pray to him, whatever he is, when they get in trouble, but he's out there, and they're afraid, they cry out to God. And if you ask them if they believe in God, yes, I believe in God, describe him. Well, you know, you can't describe him, but I do believe in God. And so when you think about what the world thinks about God, it's sort of this big spiritual blob out there somewhere, and they just don't want it to be personal enough that they have to give an account. When I think about people, for example, who do not believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, don't believe that they're subject to Him, watch this, they want a God who is impersonal enough that they can sin and not feel bad about it. Have you ever heard that accusation before? Oh, I did say this was old school. You see, if you don't believe in a personal God, it's because you want to sin and not feel bad about it. That explains everything. You go out and get drunk last night, and they show up on church on Sunday morning not think anything about it. Do you believe in God? Yes. Well, what about Jesus? Well, you know what? I never have believed about Jesus. I don't need that. I just believe in God. I think about all these religions who believe in some God. What kind of God? When you eliminate Jesus, you eliminate the Holy Spirit, you cannot have the one true God without the Son and without the Spirit. And so you ask yourself this question. Do you believe in God? Yes. Okay. Just, uh, just a moment there. You cannot have the one true God without believing in the Son and the Spirit. I only, I only 
point this out because there have been discussions about the Trinity on SNS in the past. You can look them up. And uh, I've listened to discussions uh, regarding the Trinity uh, and such subjects on shows like Unbelievable. I've talked to guests about uh, the Trinity. And most of them, for the most part, tell me that the Trinity is a secondary issue. And even if you don't believe in the Trinity, or at least don't understand the Trinity, that that's not, um, that's, that's not a major uh, offense. But Dr. Charles Stanley disagrees. If you don't believe in God the Spirit and God the Son, you don't believe in God, period. Do you believe in his Son? And remember what Jesus said. Watch this carefully. I and the Father are one. And if you do not believe that Jesus Christ is God, you do not believe in the one true God. Did Abraham believe in Jesus? Or you believe that Jesus Christ is a liar? And if he's a liar, what about God? Maybe he doesn't exist. If you do not believe the biblical concept and truth about God, you end up being confused. And so one of the reasons people don't want to believe in Jesus that makes it too personal. There are too many verses about Jesus. I and the Father are one, he said. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The problem is that most people haven't seen him, and they have a very distorted view of what God is like. And so ask yourself the question, do you really and truly believe that Jesus Christ is God? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? There is only one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons of the Trinity who have a different work in the world. How, how, does, how does that explain anything? And so when somebody says, well, uh, I, I, I do believe in God, well, here's, here's the problem. When it comes to Jesus and what he said about how we are to live, they, they don't want to believe that. And so, therefore, if they can capsule God over here, who's impersonal and really can't define him, really, though oftentimes they describe him like this, what well, God understands. Mm-hmm. And so they've got him in such general out there somewhere they can't define and do not want to be talking about any judgment or being subject to or responsible to. They want a God that they can control in their mind. He's only there when they need him. Think about living that kind of life and coming to the point when you're going to die and you know that you maybe have an hour or so to live. I wonder what happens to this nebulous, indescribable, invisible God out there who has been in the background of your life all the life and now you're getting ready to die and you think maybe maybe I'll meet God my friend you better know Jesus before you die because if the only God you have if the only God you have is this indescribable non-biblical God then you don't have a true God And so I want you to think about this. Why did he say he came into the world? And he answers this. Jesus came into the world that we might have life and have it more abundantly. 
He came for a specific purpose, and you look at his whole life. The life that Jesus lived, what is it about Jesus you don't like? You see, most people want a God that will pacify them and that will agree with them and won't scold them, won't keep them up at night, and just not tamper with their business. They want a convenient, personal God they describe that helps them get what they want in life, but no accountability whatsoever. That is not who God is. You may have a God, but if He's not a God that matches what we just read in the Word, which is God's Word, you don't have the one true God. Who is this God that you believe in? Is He real? If He's not the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, you don't have a true God. I'm, I'm sorry, I nodded off there for a moment. Did he, did he provide any proof during that time? I, I, was, I was only out for a minute. It's your imagination. You say, but what about all those other millions of people in the world? They have their imagination also. And you see, the, the Bible's made it very clear. And John, who walked with Jesus, the last disciple to die, the youngest one of them all, but when he wrote the gospel, he wrote the gospel inspired by Almighty God to describe for us so intimately, so beautifully, who Jesus was and what he's like. And the only way you can have a relationship with him is to, to begin by asking him to forgive you of your sins and surrendering your life to him. You've got to believe in him. So as long as you have your personal God out here who doesn't mess with your conscience, doesn't bother you when you commit adultery, or live in sin and you're drunken and all the things that go on in a person's life, as long as that doesn't bother you, that's your God. But I'll tell you one thing. There's going to be death. There's going to be a judgment. You're going to give an account and guess to whom? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that I want you to understand you need to surrender your life to him here and now because he is God. Then, of course, listen to John 3.16, which you know so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But in your life at this moment, what kind of relationship do you have with Jesus? Because the Word of God bears witness that Jesus Christ is God who walked in flesh. Watch this. This is the awesome expression of a holy God. Not only, was it, not only was it sufficient for him to give the truth through the prophets all the way back to Moses and all the things that happened with the prophets, but he sent Jesus to walk in human flesh to be tempted by the devil, but to perform all of these miracles so that man does not have any excuse for not believing in him as the Son of God. Well, you see this book here says that some people said that he did a bunch of miracles, so you don't have an excuse not to, oh, never mind. That is an example of God's awesome love for us. Why he came into the world motivated by love. You say, well, you know what? I don't, I don't know that I think God's all that important. Wait till you come to die. And the only... 
I'm sorry. Was there a scare tactic in there? You're going to die. Just wait till you die. Then you'll see. You'll see. Aren't you scared now? Well, then you'd better... The person who's going to be important is not your doctor. He can't keep you there another moment. Not your family. You're going to leave them. The only person that's going to matter is Jesus Christ. The only person that's going to matter is Jesus. Because only He can forgive sin. Only He can write your name in the Lamb's book about life. Only He can take you from this life into heaven. You can have everything else in the world you want. Is heaven a real place? I don't think that we establish that. Would some Christians, never mind you atheists, don't care. Will some Christian just clarify this once and for all? Is heaven a real place where real people in real bodies will be alive and in perpetual joy for a real eternity. Will you answer that for me and also answer the hell question too? Just give me a definitive word on this one way or the other so I can know what I'm supposed to think. Everybody thinks you're fantastic. You have all power, whatever it might be. If you don't have Jesus, except a man be born again, he'll not see the kingdom of God. That means unless you have a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ and accept him as your Savior, you're going to be lost. Who is Jesus? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, a person of the Trinity. When he said, let us make men in our own image, who is he talking about? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, I I missed where you got that from exactly. There isn't anything you and I need that's not in the Word of God. Oh, it's somewhere in... Somewhere in the book. Just read. It's in there. Just read. Just It's there. He answers all the questions that I need to have answered. If a person... Everything you need to know about life. It's, it's in this book. We were taught this every week. Three times a week at least. Does not believe in Jesus, but they have a God. Mark it down. There's, watch this. There's something about Jesus that interferes with their lifestyle. Something about Jesus that bothers their conscience. Something about Jesus that demands of them something they don't want to give. Something about Jesus that sort of cramps their style of living. And so, you know, but what it couldn't possibly be is the absolute lack of evidence that Jesus was anything more than a pitiable street preacher. Couldn't be that. It must be our willful sin. Yeah, there's something about Jesus that just doesn't ring true. They decide, I do believe in God. Don't ask me to define him. Don't ask me to describe him. It's none of your business. I do believe in God. You have your God. I have mine. You'll die with your God and be sorry that you rejected Jesus Christ as your Savior. Ooh, another scary threat. He's the only Savior. Now, let's think about something for a moment. Because in light of all of that, suppose Jesus is not God. If Jesus is not God, think about this. Jesus has been untruthful about his relationship with the Father. Yeah, Jesus has been untruthful about his relationship with the Father. Is that so unthinkable? He said, I and the Father are one. 
If that's not true, Jesus has been untruthful about his relationship with the Father. Yes. If that's not true. Secondly, Jesus can't be trusted if he is not the Son of God in the Son. Agreed. Jesus can't be trusted. I'm with you so far. Savior. And if he's not God. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. If that's not true, then you can't trust him. Nope. Three, his death had no effect upon us, therefore we are still in our sins. Right. I don't know about the sin part, but his death had no effect on us. It really hasn't. Just, just look at the lives led by Christians. His death has had no effect whatsoever. Just look at a Christian who is addicted to drugs. Jesus' death had no effect whatsoever. There's no discernible outward effect his death had. If he's not who he says he is. His death on the cross was just another Roman execution. That's what the Sadducees and the Pharisees thought. That's why they sneered at him on the cross. If Jesus were not God and is not God, his death on the cross didn't mean any more than the two thieves who died on the cross. They died because they were guilty of something. Jesus died because of our guilt, not his guilt. Think about it. Think about the guilt of all your sin throughout your life. No, don't think about the guilt of all your sin throughout your life. Don't, don't fall for some cheap guilt trip trick to make you turn to any imaginary friend who will give you absolution. If Jesus' death on the cross didn't pay your sin debt in full... Who paid for it? Nobody. You have to pay for it. You stand before Almighty God and give an account for your life. Yes, you are the one who is responsible for the wrongs that you have done in your life. Even if they are not entirely your fault, you do bear the responsibility. You do have to answer for the crimes that you commit, for the harms that you do. No one can take that away from you. Sorry. Jesus is our salvation. He paid our sin debt in full for every single person who will trust him as their Savior. We know salvation comes from him. Think about this. Sorry, salvation from what exactly? The story of the resurrection is a false claim by his followers. If Jesus is not who he says he is, that's a false claim that he rose from the dead. Oh, goodness me, followers of a prophet making false claims. Why, I never. That he was the son of God, and so therefore there's no resurrection. Then we have no assurance of life after death. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is our one awesome assurance of life after death, and that we will experience the resurrection. So when people don't believe in Jesus, then I ask the question, what are you going to do when you die? I'm going to stay dead. What are you going to do when you die? Where are you going? Where are you going? I'm not going anywhere. I'd be dead. What's going to happen to you? I don't think you understand dead. Every once in a while, somebody will say, well, I'll just disappear. Oh, no, you won't. You may like to disappear, but you can't. What happens to you when you die? Well, I don't know. Don't you think it's important enough to find out what you should do? 
It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. You should know what's going to happen. You don't have to know all the details. What you have to know is this, that Jesus promised eternal life. I don't care what a crazy street preacher promised. But those who would trust him as their Savior. Listen to this. Christianity is just another world religion if Jesus is not who he says he is. Only Jesus Christ gives us the answer and the proof that he is the Son of God, that he is. I'm sorry, did I miss the proof? Did I talk over the proof? You guys rewind this all the way to the beginning and listen to it and, and point out the proof that I missed. God. Suppose you don't have that. What do you have? Think about the people who don't give Jesus Christ a second thought, but they have in their pocket their little security, and that is they believe in God, and somehow when it's all over, that, that, that everything's going to be okay. No, everything is not going to be okay because he said, it is appointed unto man who wants to die, and after this, the judgment. We're going to have to give an account for our life. If I were lost, and I didn't want to believe that, I'd just say, well, what I have heard many times, well, I have my own God, you've got yours. Yeah, that's true. You may think about things that have happened in your life and say, well, God help me out. God may have helped you out in order to give you an opportunity to trust him as your Savior. does not mean that God judges every single person every single day. No. He's a God of awesome mercy or none of us would be here. So, I would mention this last thing. If Jesus Christ is not God, we are all hopeless and helpless in this life. But Jesus is God. And listen to this. Jesus is God. All he said, all he did has resulted in the forgiveness of our sins, the gift of eternal life, and heaven is our home. Look at all of the people who do not believe that Jesus is God, who are not hopeless and helpless in this life. I guarantee you not a single person ever pointed this out to Dr. Charles Stanley. There's one God. And if somebody asks you, who is God? God is Jesus. God is the Father. God is the Holy Spirit, three persons of the Trinity. So Jesus said to them, to make it very clear, I'm going away. And if I go away, I will send the Comforter to you, the Holy Spirit. He'll be in you, with you, and upon you. And so what happened? Jesus rose from the dead, spoke to those disciples. And then at Pentecost, he sent the Holy Spirit to do what? To enable you and me, who come along afterwards, to live a godly life. He didn't leave us. And you think about how absolutely thoughtful God was. It's not enough for them to have seen him even walk among them. But the Holy Spirit to live within them. He says we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise under the day of redemption. If you don't have Jesus, what do you have? You say, well, I have my God. Let me ask you this. Describe my God to me. I'll tell you how to describe him. You describe him in a way that suits what you want, what you hope for. But you can't describe him by facts, 
by the truth. Your God is a false God. Your God is an empty God if your God is not Jesus Christ. Our Savior, our Lord, our God. And amen. Okay, that's going to do it. We're at the 48-minute mark. I can't take any more. He's almost done here anyway. And about to give the obligatory altar call slash prayer. So uh, that's fine. Uh, what can I say about this sermon? Honestly, this really is the typical, the traditional sermon, the proof sermon that Jesus is God. And the thought, the Christian thought process never went any deeper than what you just heard right there. That That is, at bottom, the foundation of Jesus is God theology. So if you, if you were expecting something a little bit more academic or a little bit more convincing, if you were expecting some kind of effort to be made at all, uh, no, no, because uh, evangelists of that day didn't have to do any of that. They didn't talk to atheists in their time any more than I did. They, they, they talked to fake atheists. They invented the atheist of their mind and then kind of used that as a straw man. You know, that's why they know that if you don't believe Jesus is God, it's because you're trying to sin without feeling guilty. Well, you know why they know that? Because that's what the fake atheist in their mind believes. <laughs> so, that, I mean, that's proof. That's, and and they, would, they would say this week after week after week, and the people in the pews would just eat it up. They would believe it. Uh, the book of John. So he takes this sermon from the book of John. I don't know if uh, you were a, a part of this movement, that, but there was uh, an evangelistic movement again back in my day where the, the tactic, in fact, the final tactic, would be to ask someone to read the book of John. I tell you what, just read the book of John, and we'll come back next week and talk. And you, so I don't know if you recall that or not, but that's a thing that used to happen quite a bit. And, and so one of the things I used to wonder is, why tell someone to read the book of John? I never did that, by the way. Uh, why tell someone to read the book of John? And it took a while before I figured it out. The book of John is the the one gospel that overtly has both the writer and Jesus claiming to be God. you got to skip three gospels to get to John. And if we're talking about the dating of the gospels, you got to skip decades after, after the first gospel was uh, penned to get to John. So why are we skipping all of this stuff to get to John? It's because the first three Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, simply do not make those claims as strongly. I'll put it that way. Some would say they don't make those claims at all. But you can, you can get some inferences 
from there. But it's not very strong. It's not good argumentation. If you really want good biblical argumentation that Jesus is God, you got to skip the first three Gospels and go all the way to John. You're skipping not only a lot of pages in the Bible, you're skipping a lot of history between, excuse me, the time of Jesus and uh, and the writing of this book. And so a lot of... Uh, a lot of doctrine had been changed and or invented about Jesus by the time we get to John. And those are the stories about Jesus that a certain kind of Christian really likes. And they just can't find it anywhere else. They are unsatisfied by the offerings of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, even all put together. So they say, skip all that, bump that noise, go to John, Jesus is God, Bob's your uncle. Are you ready to be dunked? Well, I'm not, and uh, I doubt that anyone uh, hearing that sermon today is either. This is just one of those blasts from the past. Once again, this was, uh, this was just a couple of years ago. But Charles Stanley really is a fossil from the past, and his type of preaching is uh, very old school and not the kind of preaching you hear from the modern apologists today. But if you really want to know what Christians, especially Christians my age, you can say between age 40 and 60, if you want to know what they believe, this is what they believe. I mean, not all of them, obviously. But a huge part of them, this was as middle-of-the-road mainstream Christianity as it got. So there you go. We'll uh, see you next time. Bye-bye.